Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Everyone, it is good to be with you today. I am Brian Wilmoth. I'm the senior pastor. If we haven't met before, hey, so glad that you're here and we hope you feel a welcome, uh, you feel at home, and, and this is a place where you can be on a Sunday morning. So uh, we just were so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I have one more uh, thing that I want to share with you just as a family moment. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we shared some really good news about our staffing and hiring, and we have uh, hired all of the open roles that we, we had posted over the last year. So we are so excited to be in that place. Well, I wanted to highlight one more time our student life pastor. So we have hired Jake Harper, and he will be joining us here in a few weeks. And so uh, we're excited about getting him on board and and bringing him onto the team. But we wanted to just give you a very brief snapshot of him. So we've got a video from him just introducing himself to you. So take a look at this video from Jake Harper. Hey, New Life. My name is Jake, and my wife, Joanne, and I are so excited to be joining the New Life family. We are coming to Morton from Paducah, Kentucky, our hometown, where I've been serving in a student ministry role for about seven years. So just a couple of things about us. We have a dog, full name Buzz Lightyear Harper, and we are also expecting our first child crew at the end of October. But we are just so excited to be coming to New Life. We sense that God is really doing something cool here, and we can't wait to join in on that. So we will see you in just a few short weeks. So that's a brief intro to, to Jake again. He will be here um, on the first part of September, and so we're going to help him get moved in and get him started. But I wanted to highlight our student life ministry. So our student life ministry meets on Wednesday evenings, and we will be starting this Wednesday. So for any student, sixth grade through high school, you are welcome to attend uh, our, our, our gathering on Wednesdays. So we'd love to have you there, and uh, we've got our team who's building uh, the first few weeks before Jake gets here. So we'd love to have you join us as we anticipate him showing up. So Wednesday evenings at 6.30 over at the other building. So if you normally come here across our parking lot, we've got the Heart Soul Center and that is where student life meets. We'd love to have you join us at 6.30 on Wednesdays if that's something that you might be interested in. But know that Jake Harper will be here in a few weeks and we'll, uh, we'll share some details about how you can meet him and all that kind of stuff. But I'm so excited. I'm really looking forward to what God is doing in the student life ministry. Over this last year, our team has done a great job. And now we're going to step into this next season, uh, seeing what God wants to do. And so this is a new season for our whole church, and it's a new season for our student life ministry. So we'd love to have students join us on Wednesdays to see how God might be able to grow each and every one of us. So I want to put that before you. Wednesdays, 630, 6th through 12th grade, love to have you there. All right, would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin the message? God, thank you for your word. It is a gift to us. Lord, it is instruction. But more than that, it is where we meet you. We get to know you through these stories. We get to see your character, and we come to a relationship with you as we read it. And so, Lord, as we open up the scriptures today, I pray that we are coming to you, that our hearts are ready to to interact with you, and Lord, that you're going to remind us of the good news of the gospel. So Lord, we come to you expectant, ready, and Lord, speak to us today. 
wherever we are, with, with whatever we're bringing in in our hearts and our minds and our bodies today, would we come to you with all that we are? And Lord, would you speak? Thank you again, Lord, for the scriptures that we can study them together. We love you, Lord. We proclaim our trust, our allegiance to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I want to ask you a question as we get started. What are you following? What are you following? And I don't mean like who you're following on Twitter or, you know, when you scroll social media, like what are you following? That's, that's not quite what I mean, though I'd be curious. What, what do you follow? Yeah, that's kind of cool. Okay. But more of this question, what, what are you following? Like what leads your life? What, what's the, the framework, the philosophy, the, the set of ideas that, that guide you in how you make decisions? How you set priorities? What gives you values? What, what are the things, what's the thing, what's the person that you're following? And maybe you're, you're tracking with this question, or maybe you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what you mean. Like, when, when we kind of think about this, I think the kinds of things that could come up, it's like, okay, I, I, I follow a person. Like, I want to be like them, like a mentor or, you know, like your, your father, your mother, something like that. Okay, that's good. What, what are you following? Or maybe there's this drive, and maybe you're aware of it, maybe you're not, but like, man, like work. Work is so important. Like, I, I, I got to do my job, and I got to do well, because I got to make more money. I got to climb that ladder. And is that something that you're kind of following? Is it promising? Like, here's the kind of life that you want? Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a philosophy. It's like, I want to be a good person. That's probably overly, overly simple, but I want to be a good person, and so I'm going to do A, B, C, D. What, what are you following? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with at one level today. And it's a very important one. We're in this series where we're exploring mission. Uh, the mission of Jesus. What, what is all of this about that we're called to as, as Christians? And so we're, we're, we're exploring what is, what is this mission that Jesus has given to us? And so the first week, two weeks ago, we started. And we saw that the mission is to make disciples. Like, we're, we're to make disciples. That's, that's the mission. We're, we're called to make disciples. That, that's, that's it. But how does that happen? Like, a disciple is a learner, an apprentice, someone who's learning from a master. They're a follower. That's what a disciple is. How, how do we make them? Like, what, what does it look like for us to actually do that? So that's the second question I, I want to surface is, like, how do we make disciples? How does this happen? Well, today we're going to answer that question. I'm going to tell you what it is right now. It's the gospel. The gospel is how disciples are made. It's the way the mission is accomplished. It's the method, the mechanism, if you will. So the gospel is how mission happens. That's the big idea for today. And so as we dive into this series, we're exploring this mission. Today we're going to lay out the gospel. Like, we're going we're gonna to talk about the gospel itself as a way to understand this is what's happening. This is the way the mission takes place. This is the way we make disciples. But talking about the gospel as a, as a mechanism or, or the way mission happens is not enough because the gospel inevitably causes us to wrestle with that first question. What are we following? The gospel is going to poke at that. It's going to make us wonder and ask questions like, 
what's really going on here? So I want to surface both things today. From a practical side, like if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given this mission. How do we make disciples? Well, broadly, it's the gospel. So I want to equip you with that today. We're going to talk about the gospel. And as we talk about the gospel, it's going to stir our hearts. It's going to poke at us. It's going to cause us to reflect, what am I really following here? Where do I put my allegiance? Where, where am I aligned? And so that's, we're going to wrestle with both of those things today. So to help you do that, we're doing something a little bit different for us. If you're new, then you don't know any different. But if you're here regularly, normally we don't have this, but we gave you a handout today. Now, if you didn't get one, please raise your hand. One of our ushers is kind of back there. Like, we want to make sure you get one. The gospel is so important, and, and we want to make sure that it is so clear that we want to give this to you, and we're going to lay out the framework of the gospel for you. And here it is on a sheet of paper where you can take it with you because we want you to learn it. We want you to make sure that you know what the gospel is all about. And so you're going to see seven different lines, seven elements to the gospel. And I've given you some extra space to elaborate in your own words the key concepts or the key ideas that just helps you track with what the gospel is saying. So grab one of these sheets. If you don't have one, your hands are up, the ushers are walking around, make sure you grab one of these. Now, if you want to do it in your own notebook, that's great too. But we just wanted to make sure that you had this sheet so that we could explore what the gospel is all about. So we're going to look at two texts today. These seven elements, there's going to be four statements and three imperatives. So we're going to look at two texts to do that. So I invite you, if you would, turn to the book of Mark we're going to look at the book of Mark starting in chapter 1, and then we're going to jump to chapter 8 after that. So the book of Mark, chapter 1, we're going to look at how Jesus defined the gospel. So the book of Mark, chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. Follow along with me. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel, the good news of God. So what does he say? Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Verse 16, as Jesus walked along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. So we get this dense picture of what the gospel is. So when you hear that word, I'm curious, what do you think of? Do you think of those couple of words that Jesus just said there? Repent and believe. Like when you think of the gospel, do you think of the picture of the sign, someone on the street corner, like repent and that kind of thing? My, my wife and family, we went to the state fire yesterday uh, and just kind of went down for the, a couple of hours. And, and sure enough, by the main gate on one of the corners, I kid you not, there was somebody with a sign, repent and believe the good news. It was right there. I mean, this isn't just somebody like way out there, like this is happening near us, right? Is that what you think of the gospel? Do you think of the gospel as like, oh, Jesus has forgiven me and I get to go to heaven? Is that the gospel? Or is the gospel like, Jesus helps me to be a good person 
and I got to go do all the things that he tells me to do. Is that the gospel? What Jesus says here in a short statement, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What's this whole gospel thing that Jesus is talking about? Well, what I want to do is I want to highlight several of these key elements that establish a framework for the gospel. And so on your sheet, number one, here's the first thing that Jesus says. Kingdom. The kingdom of God has come near. Well, what is Jesus talking about? He is talking about the restoration of God's good rule over all things. When he says kingdom of God, he means the restoration of God's good rule over all things. So let me, let me elaborate. God is king. He's created the whole world and he created it good. He said like, yes, I love it. This is good. And everything was as it should be. He created it to be flourishing, full of life. Like he built all these different parts of the world and he filled it with life. And it delighted him. There was joy. He loved it. He loves us. This was the world that he designed. But that's not the way the world is. And so God's kingdom is coming in to restore things to the way they were. See, God, his, his kingdom is where his reign or rule happens. Now, we might think of like, okay, where geographically or physically, like these places, right? When God talks about kingdom, he's actually not talking about a place. His kingdom is not a kingdom like kingdoms of this world. His kingdom isn't with borders. It's primarily people. It's primarily a way of life. And so wherever that's happening, there, there is God's rule. There is his kingdom. And the thing you need to know is it's good. God's kingdom is good. It, he established it in a particular way to be flourishing, full of life, thriving. That, that's his kingdom. And so Jesus comes to say, like, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. I'm restoring it. Like, here, it's coming back. That's his announcement. The kingdom, where God's good rule happens through people, is now here. But this begs a question or, or leads to an implication. There are other kingdoms. There's not just God's kingdom. There are other kingdoms. And, and we might think of kingdoms like King Arthur's or England. or it, Again, we're talking about kingdoms without borders. We're talking about a way of life, a philosophy, or, or, or a movement. Or we're talking about kingdoms that are competing for our attention, for authority in our life, for influence over us. There are competing kingdoms. When Jesus says God's kingdom is coming, he's implying that other kingdoms are now rubbing up against it, and there's conflict. There's a kingdom in your life. Back to our question, like, what are you following? There's a kingdom that you align yourself to. What is that kingdom? Do you know? Maybe you know. Maybe you can define it. Maybe you can spell, oh yeah, here it is. Maybe you don't. 
we're all aligned to a kingdom. Sometimes we're trying to build our own kingdom. Brian Wilworth, I want to build the kingdom of Brian. And, and what kind of kingdom are we aligned to? Jesus is saying God's kingdom is at hand. He's implying there are other kingdoms and there's going to be conflict. What kingdom rules over you? What sets the rules? What says, here's what's important, here's how you make decisions. What's the kingdom you're aligned to? That, that's what this is pointing to. So that's number one, kingdom. Now I'm going to have you jump down to number five. So flip over. The next thing we see in this text, the kingdom of God is at hand. What does Jesus say? Repent. There's a churchy word, right? Here's the sign, the guy in the corner, right? Repent. What does Jesus mean here? Well, what he means literally is turn around because that's what the word means. Repent, it's like you're going one way and then turn around. That's, that's repenting. That's turning. That's what he says here, turn around. But by implying there's kingdom language, he's asking for your allegiance. So repent in this context means turning around. It means giving allegiance to Jesus. Now, when we hear this word, again, pretty churchy, you see the guy with a sign, what do we often think of? It's like, oh, I got to feel really bad about all the bad stuff I've done, right? Like, that, that's what we think. Repent is like, oh, shoot, I got I to gotta grovel and, and I got to humble myself and feel like this, right? Like, repent, feel bad. Jesus has so much more when he says that word. He's not trying to say, like, feel bad about yourself. What he's saying is, you're going one way. I want you to turn directions and go a different way. I want you to unhitch your allegiance to that kingdom and put your allegiance to me. Repent is turning. Instead of going this way, go this way. Put yourself in the woods on a hike. Like, you've got a map. You kind of know, okay, here's where I'm going. And you're following the trail. And you're kind of like, wait a minute. This doesn't look quite right. Like, and you look at the map, you realize, oh, I'm going the wrong way. What do you do? You turn around. You go back the way that you're supposed to. You go back. It's like, I want to get to this place. You turn around. So if you keep walking down that trail, it's not going to take you where you want to go. That's what Jesus is saying here. You, you want life? You want the full life? Like, you're not going to find it going this way. Turn Turn around. So that's number five. Repent means turn. Turning around, giving our allegiance to Jesus. Number six comes next. Believe. Repent and believe. Again, another churchy word, right? Believe. Just believe. Like, this is what it takes. Like, just believe. Like, know what Jesus said and, okay, I believe it. Actually, what Jesus has here comes from that kingdom language, comes from that allegiance kind of language. It is about trust. To me, that's the synonym that we can most gravitate towards. Believe is about trust. It's about trusting in Jesus. It's relying upon him. So put yourself back in the woods. Let's say you're walking a trail and you've got a guide. And say, oh, no, we shouldn't go this way. That's not as safe. We'll go this way. Are you going to go with that person? Like, oh, I believe you, and I trust you, so I'm going to take a step with you. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about here. 
He's wanting trust. He's wanting reliance. Like he wants us to go with him. Not simply just like mental agreement. Like, oh, I agree to that set of ideas or those beliefs, that doctrine. Belief is not just holding something in your mind. There's more going on. This is a trust act. When he says believe, that's what he's saying. And he's also not saying like throw out your, your mind or your rationality. Like it doesn't make sense. So you just got to believe it. Like, no, <laughs> this way is safer. I've been down this road. You trust the guide. It makes sense. Like it, it jives with the way things actually are. Believe. Trust. That's number six. But notice, like Jesus, he, he proclaims the, the good news, the kingdom, repent, believe. But then he does something. And maybe you've got a, in your Bibles a little a section break there. But there's something that happens immediately in Mark's mind in connection with this proclamation. What is it? Jesus goes along. He's walking along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And he sees a couple of guys. And what does he say to them? Come, follow me. Follow me. So number seven is follow. Now this word is not just like, hey, you know, hey, come follow me for 20 minutes. I want to I talk to you and you come back to your nets. Like, no, no, no. He was issuing a formal call. This was loaded language. When, when he says to Peter and Andrew, like, follow me, He's not saying, like, let's go for a little hike here. He's saying, I'm inviting you into something. I want you to be my disciples, my apprentices. I want you to learn from me. And so what do they do? They follow him for years. This call to follow is not just a let's go along for a little journey. This is a formal call to learn from Jesus. And so what he's asking for here is alignment. So following is aligning life to Jesus, becoming like him. You see, what, what they would do is these students, these disciples, they would follow a master, follow a, a rabbi, and they would learn from them. Here's what the, the, the law is all about. Here's how we interact with the Lord and, and in our relationships. Here's how we carry about synagogue. And, and they would learn how to do things, and they would become like their teachers. That's what Jesus is asking for here. Follow me as a student. Become like me. Become like me. I want to pause here and say, you know, for those of you who grew up in church or maybe you've kind of been church adjacent, you've, you've heard some things before, I'm curious, when you think of gospel, when you think of all of these kinds of things, does this come up very much? I contend with you, this is one of the most lacking pieces in the gospel presentation from most of the church. We do not call people to follow Jesus, to become like him. Oftentimes the gospel is like, repent, avoid hell, and then you get into heaven when you die. Like, that's the gospel. No. Sure, that happens, but that's not what Jesus says here. Repent and avoid hell, and then you get to be in God's kingdom when it comes down the road. Like, no, the kingdom of God is at hand now. Repent, believe, follow me. Following Jesus, this is part of the gospel. 
What he's calling us to is a life of transformation. This journey to become more and more like him. So we care about what he cares about. We live as if he were in our shoes. We've talked about that Dallas Willard quote a lot here before. It's like we want to live the kind of life that Jesus would live if he were in our shoes. That's what he's calling us to. So we care about justice. We care about hospitality. We fight against racism. We give generously. We care about the marginalized. We show people love unconditionally, even when there are enemies. This, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what he's calling us to. Follow me. Become like me. So far, we've gotten four elements. And this all comes in the first chapter, really densely packed, like here, it's about kingdom, repent, believe, and follow. But now there's a few other key elements that we need to see fleshed out for understanding the gospel. To do that, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8. So flip over a few chapters to Mark chapter 8. We're going to see now an interaction where Jesus explains a little bit more about what the gospel is all about. So begin reading in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you? What about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. But then, verse 31, keep reading. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. So, if you've been in church, you've probably heard this whole moment in, in the scriptures. Like, this is the moment that Peter like, acknowledges, you're the Messiah. And what does that word mean? <laughs> now, Messiah is a formal title. The word you might be most familiar with is Christ. Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you get kids who think that's their, his last name. Like, oh, he was born to Joseph and Mary Christ. You know, that kind of thing. This is actually, oh, some of you hadn't heard that. Okay. <laughs> New material. I love it. <laughs> so this is a title. It's not a last name. It's not Jesus Christ. It's Jesus the Christ. The Messiah. And it's a title that's building on an identity that was started in the Old Testament. See, when Peter says Messiah, he's thinking about something that started with King David. See, King David was the great king of Israel. He ushered into a period of prosperity, of flourishing, of thriving. And, and he comes in and, and people are like, this is good. This is the way it's supposed to be. And, and they're enjoying it. And, and that's when God steps in and speaks something. He says this. Someone's going to sit on David's throne forever. And lead in this thriving, in this flourishing. Like this king is going to come and it's going to be like this all of the time. 
And, and people are like, oh, oh, wow, okay, yeah. And then get excited about that. And, and then the prophets, they begin to reflect and pray over this. And God shows them more and shows them that this king is going to lead this way out of a humble and gracious heart. And this, this king is going to lead them when they hit trouble. And this king is going to lead them when they hit oppression. Eventually, this king was, was captured to, to understand, like, this king is going to free us from our enemies. And so they begin to watch every time they're oppressed. Every time they're subjugated. Every time that they are, like, under someone else's thumb, they're like, is the Messiah going to come? Is this king going to come? Because this king is not just someone who leads. This king is one who rescues. So number two on your sheet is Christ, Messiah, Christ. Jesus is the king who saves. When Peter proclaims, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the king that that we've been looking forward to. You're the one who saves us. You're the one who sets us free. You're the one who rescues us. This is what they're waiting for. And so if we need a king who's going to rescue us, well, what is he rescuing us from? It's these other kingdoms. These kingdoms that are competing for our attention, for their dominance in our life. We are aligned to a kingdom that is going to lead us down the wrong kind of road. He comes to set us free from that. But this kingdom isn't quite what we thought. And this king isn't quite what we thought. It certainly wasn't what they thought. When Peter says, you're the Messiah, he's thinking he's going to, this guy right in front of us is going to set us free from Rome. But then he goes on to say something that's unexpected. That's a twist. And it's this. He's going to die. He's going to be killed. So when he handed over to the leaders of Israel, they're going to crucify him. They're going to put him to death. And how does a king lead if he's dead? Jesus said, I bring a kingdom that is not of this world. I bring a kingdom that fights against the kingdoms that are not of this world. And the way that I do it is not of this world. I'm going to die for you. He spoke to them plainly that he was going to die. He's going to lay down his life. Why would he do that? Because the kingdom that we are all subjugated to that we're oppressed to is the kingdom of sin and death. We're stuck. We are dead. We cannot get out on our own strength. We have to be set free. The way that we are set free is by someone dying. And Jesus does that. He's the king who rescues by dying in our place. And Paul makes this explicit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about the gospel. He's like, I passed on what's most important, that Christ died for your sins. See, he uses this language of sin to say that's anything that is not in alignment to God's kingdom. God designed the world to be good, fruitful, flourishing, full of life. And when we depart from that, all that remains is death. 
All that remains is misalignment. That is what he is saving us from. And he does it by going into death. The king who is on high comes down and lays down his life. And it's by his blood that we are healed. This is the unexpected twist. Why would the king who's supposed to rule over all things die? To set us free from death. So, number three, death. Jesus died for our sins. Our sins are any misalignment from God. Let me be clear. It's, it's anything that we're trying to find life and, and fullness and flourishing any other way other than God. His kingdom, his creation, his way is the way of life. Anything else results in death. So Jesus dies for our sins, for this misalignment, being aligned to another kingdom. This is what he died for. But if he just died, what else is there? Like, doesn't it, doesn't it feel like death wins? Like, Jesus himself died. He, he's subject to death. He comes under death. Like, what then? Here is the most important element of the gospel. This happens to be the most important element of the gospel. This resurrection. If you don't have resurrection, you don't have gospel. If you hear a message of the gospel and don't hear resurrection, you don't have the gospel. It is the power of life. So Jesus says, I will be killed and on the third day be raised back to life. Resurrection. Jesus was raised to renew our lives. See, if sin and death, if it reigns, if it has power over Jesus, then it still has power over us. But it doesn't. See, Jesus comes back to life. Death cannot hold him. He breaks its power. He breaks the power of sin. He breaks all things that might impose its will on us. And what does he bring? He brings transformation. He brings life. He brings renewal because he was raised. Resurrection. Jesus was raised to bring us renewed lives. And this is the power of transformation. So if we're walking one way, if we're aligned to a particular kingdom... Now there is the power through the Holy Spirit to unhitch from that and rehitch to Jesus. And now we can have life and life to the full because he brings life. This is the good news of the gospel. He gives us new life. His resurrection is a first fruits, a foretaste of life with him forever. So resurrection, this is the heart of the gospel. So now you have all seven elements. Here it is, the framework of the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? It's kingdom, it's Christ, it's death, resurrection, repent, believe, follow. Those seven words form the basis of the gospel. This is the gospel story, and it's your story. 
This is your story. See, God, from the very beginning, set in motion this plan of salvation. The movement back towards him of restoration, bringing things to the way they're supposed to be, overcoming sin and death. This is the story. So the gospel story is this. God's kingdom is at hand. He's restoring back everything the way that it's supposed to be, to goodness. And he's doing that through Jesus Christ, who is the king who saves. And Jesus is doing that by dying. He died for our sins, for our misalignment to other kingdoms. And then he's raised to new life, to give us new life. So what do we do? We repent. We turn from these kingdoms. We, we, we don't go this way. We go this way. We repent. And we believe. We trust him as king. And we follow him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what Jesus brought to fruition. And we can have that now. The kingdom is not something merely far off that we're just waiting for and, and trying to escape all this. No, no, no. The kingdom is happening now. And we look forward to the day when it'll be fully realized. Come in fullness. This is the gospel. I want you to hear that. I want you to know it. I want you to be able to tell the story as you tell your story. Because we're called to be on mission. We're called to share what we've seen what we've witnessed, what we've received and experienced. Like, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is your story. So how do you actually share the gospel? We'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But here's the thing I want to say. Just tell your story with these seven words. Tell how you have experienced Jesus in this way. He comes to each and every one of us right where we are. We all have a unique story. That is all you are to do. Share. And you're still trying to figure that out? Great. That's okay. The answer to the question, like somebody asks you sometimes is, I don't know. That's great. Tell your story. That's all you do. Here's what I know. This is how I've seen Jesus impact me. This is the story. This is your story. But I want to ask you the question. Is this your story? Come back to where we started. What are you following? Are you aligned to this kingdom? Are you aligned to this story? Jesus calls us to step towards him, to step towards this message, to step into the good news that he offers. Is this yours? Maybe you've made this decision before where you're like, yep, I've heard this. I align with it. I want to go after Jesus. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you've not heard it all put together quite like this and, and this isn't something that you've actually chosen intentionally before. We're actually going to give you that opportunity. Today, is a day where you can choose to align to Jesus. To accept the gospel, to hear the good news and say, all right, I want to follow Jesus. This is an opportunity for you to do that. 
So right now, I'm actually going to invite our worship team. They're going to come out in just a moment. We're going to invite our prayer team to come down front. And they're going to be on the wings right over here. And this is a chance for you to respond. How will you respond? Our church, we normally don't do this kind of thing where this is called an altar call and and we offer the opportunity for someone to to take a step towards Jesus. This isn't something we usually do, but this is a, a key thing we can do. We are called to respond. How are you going to respond? If this is not something you've acted upon before, here's your chance. Now, if you have acted upon this before, if you've made this decision, but maybe you're still feeling like there's competition in your heart. You're aligned to Jesus' kingdom, but you're also trying to align to another. This is a reminder. The gospel is not just for those for the first time who've never heard this before. The gospel is for all of us all the time. It is a reminder for us to fully align and follow Jesus. So today you might be like, man, I, just, I, need to, I need to come to the Lord and realign. This is an opportunity for you too. So if you made this decision before, but you need a realignment, we invite you to come pray with one of our prayer team members. Or come down here if you just want to just come and kneel and, and pray on your own. Like, we welcome that. But if you have not made this choice before, if you've not responded to the good news that Jesus has died for you, he was raised for you, and he wants you to follow him, this is your chance. You might feel that pull in your heart, in your mind. Be attentive to that. That might be the Lord saying, like, I want, I want you to step towards me. We want to pray with you. I know it might be a little scary, but we encourage you, come forward. Come pray with one of us or come down here and say, all right, Jesus, I follow you. I follow you. That's the first step. And it's an essential step. So this space is open for you. We're going to give a few minutes. Come forward. Pray with one of our prayer team members. Surrender to Jesus, whether for the first time or the 50th. Give yourself to him right now.